We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. The last time I'm going to be doing any kind of a special Christmas series message. We'll go back to Luke next week. So let's bow our heads. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Help us to see what you would want us to see through this. Help us to understand your love, your care for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these, he was troubled and Jerusalem and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them to know where the Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of you shall come a governor that shall rule it, my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently when, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came to and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasure, they presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. I just want to look at the wise men, the story of the wise men. And a couple of points to ruin your, your, your images of this. Number one, the wise men did not find Jesus at the stable. We find that in this section. Uh, and they did not see an infant. They saw a young child. So we're going to bring that, those two points out to start with. <laughs> so we have these wise men coming from the east. And there's a lot of debate as to where they were coming from. Uh, I believe they came from Persia uh, under the influence of Daniel and because Daniel was over the, over the wise men of Persia. Then, then I'm sure he brought in the Old Testament scriptures and showed them all the different scriptures because they were looking for a great king. And when they saw the star in the sky, they said, this is the king we've been waiting for because here's his star. Now, what this star was, I have no idea. We, there, there are people that will say, well, there's a bunch of stars that came together at a certain place. But you know, the star led them to Bethlehem. And if you know anything about stars, when you look at stars, as the earth rotates, the stars go from east to west. And you cannot guide yourself by the stars very well unless you're going north to the north star, because it stays over the pole. Or the south, and there's a star in the south. But other than that, all the stars go, go around and they don't sit in one place. So this was a very supernatural star because it led them from where they were in the east into Israel. And then when they left Jerusalem, this star led them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is only about 20 miles, and the star is not going to guide you that easily 20 miles. So I don't know what this star was. It was a supernatural star placed by God in the sky, whether it was an angel that shone like a star or a special star that God said, I am putting this star in one place, Low enough for you to be able to be guided? I don't know. I would love to go back in time and see what this star looked like and, and understand a little more about this star. 
because it obviously was not a star <laughs> up in the heavens. Um, a satellite, you know, who knows what God put in it uh, in there to help out, you know, it's, but this star was a very special star. And I've read all kinds of articles about how it's a, you know, how these stars came together. I've actually played with the planetarium star charts to see what would have been happening at, at about 3 to 5 BC, and I didn't see anything in the sky over Jerusalem that would have mattered, mattered that much. Uh, but this was a special star. And it guided these men from the east. Even if it was Prussia, uh, Persia, Iraq, Iran area by today's standards, and they came, it was still going to take several months to get from where they were to Bethlehem. And so these men see the star, they see this image, and they're going, this is the great king that we're looking for. Now, and this is an amazing thing. When Jesus came, it seems like everybody in the world knew that he came for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews, except for the Jews. Because they were so prejudiced against Gentiles, they could not understand how the Messiah would come and bless all nations. Last week when we looked at Simeon's prayer, Simeon goes, he will be a blessing to the Gentiles. And all through this, we see that Jesus was a blessing to all people. Why? Because God created all people. This is one of the reasons I have trouble with the whole idea of racism and different nations being a problem, because we all are of the seed of Adam and Eve. All of us are from two, two parents. And if that's not enough, we have the great flood that wipes out everybody, so we're all also descended from Noah and his wife. And they're three, they're three boys that we know of. So we all know that we are all one. And we're finding out as science goes on, once, once you get past skin color, we're all the same inside. The anatomy of everybody's still the same. The blood chemistry is pretty much the same for every single person. Yeah, there's small differences, but not enough to say that this, this belongs to one race or another race. We are all one. And Jesus came and was worshiped by Gentile wise men that were looking for the king of kings. And unfortunately, the first place they went to find the king of Israel was to Jerusalem. Now, from their perspective, that would be the perfect place to start your look. Where do the kings of Jerusalem live? They live uh, of Israel live? They lived in Jerusalem. It was the capital. And they went to see Herod. Now, if you don't know much about Herod, it was said that uh, uh, by uh, the king the Caesar that it was safer to be the pig in in Herod's house than to be in his family he killed his children you know as soon as a boy got a little bit ambitious he'd get him killed either by sending them to battle or literally would trump up charges and kill them he was murderous he was dangerous so when it says that Herod was troubled and then it adds in and all Jerusalem with him it meant that all Jerusalem was very nervous because he was the type that heads would roll if he did not like the answers that he got. How would you have liked to have been the chief priest or the, high, or the, or the Sadducees and everything that he called and goes, where is the, where is the Messiah supposed to be born from? Now, he's, he's, in a, he's in a mood and you're going, we better get the right answer and he better be happy with our answer. What happened in Daniel's day when he was just learning to be a wise man and, and 
Nebuchadnezzar had that crazy dream that nobody could interpret. He'd commanded all the wise men to be killed. He goes, if none of you can do what I ask, I'm, I'm going to kill you all. I'm not feeding you anymore. I'm not training you anymore if you can't answer a simple question to me. And remember, his question wasn't all that simple. He wanted them to tell him what his dream was, which no individual could have done without God's blessing. And Herod's here, he, at least he gives them an easy question. They go, oh yeah, we know the answer to that one. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. It's an amazing thing that they knew the answer to where the Messiah was going to be born. These guys knew their Bible. They did not apply the Bible to their life, but they knew Scripture. We need to be very careful as Christians that we don't get so knowledgeable in the Bible that we forget that we also have to apply what God tells us. And it's easy sometimes to get stuck in, I know my Bible really well. I can go into Bible trivia and win every time because I know my Bible so well. The next question is, okay, fine, you can win the trivia, but how much of the Bible can you apply to your life? When it's time to make a decision, do we go to the Bible for our direction or we do go to our own understanding? You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on unto your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. How does he direct it? Through the word, through the spirit. Do we, how often do we make decisions without even thinking about what God wants us to do? I'm guilty of doing it frequently, and I know my Bible very well. And there's times when I make a decision, I'm going, man, that was the dumbest decision I could have made because it has nothing to do with the Word of God. Now, we need to be very careful. Are we applying God's Word to everything we do? Every decision. Because I hear all the time, well, I feel good about my decision. Well, I'm glad you feel good about it, but what is the Spirit telling you? Now, I've had many people I will talk to, you know, especially when I was dealing with teenagers. Well, I'm, I really feel like God wants me to date this person. Is that person a Christian? Well, I don't know, but I feel good about being, yeah, I know you're in the throes of, of, of passion and, and, and all of that, you know, but are, is this person really going to be good for you to be with? Well, I, my life is so miserable, I've got to throw away, you know, you know, my marriage or whatever. Well, we need to be careful. What is God saying? Not what do I feel, not what do I think, but what does God say? God, I really don't like this job because it's being hard. The people are really mean and hard on me. You know, it might be the place to stay, just so you can show them God's love and mercy. The people are being hard and mean to you. Maybe it's time to leave too, but make sure your answer is going, I'm going to get into God's word and I'm going to ask God, what does he want me to do? Because oftentimes we don't like what God puts in our path. Because God says, I want you to learn. I want you to grow. So I'm going to put you in a hard place. Because I want you to trust in me. And we're going, God, you can't want me, especially here in America. God, you can't want me to be miserable by going to work, you know. And being with all these hard people. And I go, yes, he doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants you leaning on him so that you can stay positive as you go through the hard times. The disciples really had it easy in life. They preached Jesus. They saw thousands of people getting saved. They also got thrown into jail, beat, and, and tortured, and all these other things, too. But, you know, they, they didn't look at that. What was their answer to those things? You know, and their answer was so wonderful, and I love this, and I've given it many times. 
They said, thank God we were found worthy to suffer for Christ. Now in America, we don't usually get that attitude. We are taught in America, especially, if you're suffering, something's wrong. You know, we have dangerously put ourselves in this prosperity gospel idea all the way around Christian, Christianity in America. You know, even if we don't believe we're going to need, need to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, we're going, we have to be happy. You know, nowhere in my Bible does it say God's going to make us happy. He said, blessed is the man who does, goes through these things. Blessed, there are rewards for being, going through the trials. We look at any character in the Bible, how much suffering did they go through to get the reward that they got? You know, think about David. David, before he was anointed to be king, was out in the fields, and when Samuel came to his father and said, get all your sons here, his father forgot about David. David was in the field taking care of the sheep. So he was told by the prophet, get all your sons here, and he forgot David. And the prophet goes, well, do you have another? Oh, oh yeah, by the way, I do have one more son. He's out in the field so often, I totally forgot about him. And he said, get, his, get him in here. How would you like to be the forgotten child in the family? Maybe you are the forgotten child in the family. You know, you know, totally forgotten. He was told, bring all your sons here, and David was forgotten about. We look at Joseph, sold into slavery. And if that wasn't bad enough, he was convicted of a crime that he did not do and ended up in prison. He spent 13 years in, in, in this position before he was finally promoted. How many of us would wait 13 years for God to do something in our life? Without grumbling and complaining. Maybe we would wait, but we'd be grumbling and complaining. God, you know, how can all this stuff be happening to me? And there's nothing in scriptures that says that he did this. Moses, the deliverer of his people, tried to do it on his own and then was chased out of the country for 40 years before God told him to go back. We can go through every one of the stories and see how God did things that people would look at and go, we know them for how good things went for them at the end of their life possibly, but we don't necessarily think about what took them to that point. What does God do to make us ready to serve him? To actually bow our knees to serve him as we look to him. These wise men traveled a good month at least. And when they saw that star, it wasn't like they could just get up and go that day. If anybody's taking a long trip, how long does it take to plan for a long trip? You've got to pack. You've got to get everything organized. You've got to get, make, sure, make sure the vehicles are going to get you there. These guys were probably not just by themselves. I'm sure that they had a guard with them. They had to get the gifts together. They had to get this. It probably took them several weeks, if not a month or so, to get ready for this caravan to go find the child. Now it doesn't tell us that, but I'm just telling you in practical senses, this is what it would take to get ready for a caravan. A caravan just didn't form in a day. So this would have taken some time. It's going to take some time to get there. And then they go to the wrong city and alert Herod. Herod sends them, he goes, probably said once he knew the answer, he goes, oh, you're really close. All you got to do is go another 20 miles and you're going to be where you want to go. Now for us, we think 20 miles, no big deal. We can travel 20 miles in, a, in just a couple minutes. 20 miles for them was an entire day's worth of travel. 
they got to get back on their caravan, get everything all packed back up and start that trip in 20 miles. May have been a one day trip, might have been two day trip, if depending on how fast they were there. But they're going to take another day or two to go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which in our day, 20 miles, we'd have been there, we'd have been there in a half hour. We just jump in the car, get the highway and be, be right there. And I travel 30 miles to come to the church. You know, it takes me about a half hour. About the same distance as it would have been to Jerusalem from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. If I had to walk it or go by, go by uh, horse or car uh, camel, it would have been taken a long time. I wouldn't be doing multiple trips back and forth like I do. All right. Uh, got an old article from 1917. It says the pastor of the Chloride Baptist Church went to Kingman to, get, to pick up his wife and her stuff. He'll be back in two weeks. You know, I'm reading that. I'm going, two weeks. <laughs> And yes, it would have taken that long with a with a you know buckboard or something to get that get there and back you know, uh, but you know we just think of that these distances as nothing. But this distance that these guys were traveling was another day or two to their journey, and it says they saw the star, leading them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and not only did this star lead them to Bethlehem, it led them to the very house in Bethlehem that they were supposed to go to. So get rid of the idea that they went to the stable and showed up at the stable. They ended up going to a house. Mary and Joseph had no room in the inn during the, during the census, but they had a house after the census. Apparently, jo you know, apparently Joseph must have gotten some job as a carpenter after they stayed for 50 days because, he would, because of the various holidays. And so they, they were at a house. And the star led them to a, to a house. This is why it's some kind of supernatural star because a star way up in the sky would not have led them to a house. And this house they get to. And they come and they find the young child. Now we don't know how young the child was at that point in time. The young child could have been anywhere from just a couple of months to a school age child, about five years old. They told Herod, Herod's going to kill every child under two years of age. So they saw a star approximately probably two years ahead of time because that's what Herod killed is every child under two. We didn't read that section. So probably they'd seen the star about a year to a year and a half, two years earlier. And Herod says, you know, I'm going to kill all the child, children under two just to be on the safe side. But what did they do when they came to this child? They had come to see a king, and they bowed and worshipped a child. Why? Because they knew that this was the king of kings. He may have only been an infant, but he was the king of kings. What do we do with Jesus in our life? Now, I've had many people, they'll tell me they're a Christian and they've asked Jesus into their heart, and I'm not going to disagree with them. If they've asked Jesus into their heart, that's fine. But, you know, he wants more than just to be Savior for us. He wants to be Lord in our life, which he is Lord. He's Lord whether we recognize it or not. And this is very important for us. Are we actually going to make him Lord of our life? We're in a new year, and it's a wonderful time to be thinking about this. You want to make a New Year's resolution that's actually something that's good that you need to keep? Resolve that today Jesus is going to be my Lord. What does it mean to have a Lord? It means that you obey that person whether you like it or not. 
Now in America, we have a huge problem with this idea of a Lord. If we don't like our leaders, we just wait a couple years and we vote them out. And we may not even wait a couple years. We start ignoring them right away because we don't like them and we're going to vote them out. We don't like to be told what to do in America. We have this independent spirit in America. I'm going to tell you right now that independent spirit is not a biblical spirit. God tells us we are to be subject to the authorities that are in place. That includes the ones that we pick to put up there. But you know, when we come before God, do we bow our knee to Jesus and say, I'm going to do things your way? I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to demand my way. I am going to make you Lord and Master. It is one of the hardest things, especially for us as Americans, to do. But we need to learn to bow our knee to God and say, God, I'm going to do what you say. This is why it's important to get into the word of God to understand what he's asking us to do. How does he want us to live? How does he want us to make decisions? And what is he expecting of us? Spending time with him in communication in prayer, not just, not just giving God our list of desires and wants, but actually communicating with him and listening for his word. Listening to how he wants us to live something and do something. And be ready to do what he says. Now the one thing about that, there are people that go, well, I'm afraid that if I listen and do what God says, he's going to tell me to do everything I don't want to do. Do you realize that God loves you? you know, how many of us would tell our kids to do everything that would be bad for our kids just because the kid's listening to us? You know, I wouldn't. I, want, I love my kids enough that I want them to do what God wants them to do and to do what's right. Now, they may not like some of the things that they're told to do. But, you know, God is going to tell us to do things that are for our good in the long run. He loves us. I've heard people, well, if I test God and tell God I want to do, I'll do whatever he says. He's going to send me to, to the darkest places of, of South America in the middle of the Amazon Valley. And I just don't want to do that. Well, you know what? Everybody that I know that gets called to those places really wants to go there deep down in their heart when they finally listen to God. They want to do what God says. And I've been asked, you know, well, you're in chloride. Would you switch churches? I go, no, God's put me where he wants me to be, and I'm happy to be in chloride. I'm happy to be the pastor here in chloride. Now, would I have picked this 25 years ago when I had never even heard of chloride? No. I go, I, I go, no, God, I really don't want to go to northern, northern Arizona and uh, middle of nowhere and be, and be a pastor. But when God put me here, it's the perfect place. It's the perfect place, and it's where I want to be. When the time is right and God tells you to do something, you're going to be very happy to say, yes, God, that is exactly what I want to do. Because he will equip us to do what he's called us to do. And we need to just be ready to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. I'm going to give up the things that you want me to give up. There are many things in my life that when God finally asked me to give them up, I loved them before he asked me to give them up. But when, it t when he came to give it up, it's like, well, yeah, I guess I'm ready to give it up. Sure, God, not happy about it. I like it, but you, know, you want it gone, it's gone. How many things has God asked you to do and you're going, I am not sure that I want to do it? If he's asked you to do something you're not sure that want, then start asking God, say, God, give me the, de give me the desire to f obey. 
Give me the desire to obey what you're asking me to do. And he'll answer. God, give me the desire to, whatever it might be he's asking you to do. Help me to do what you've asked me to do. Because it gets difficult sometimes to follow God. I want you to go talk to that person over there. God, that's the meanest person in town. You want me to talk to that person? Well, that's the meanest person I know. <laughs> and God says, yes. I'll say, God, I'm going to need your help. Give me the desire and the ability to do that. God, you want me to love who? God, you better give me the desire to be able to love that person. Help me to love that person. God will give us the strength to do what he asks us to do. And we need to be ready to say, God, I am going to do what you ask me to do because you are Lord, Master, and King. Not just Savior. He is our Savior. If, you're, if you've asked him into your heart, he's your Savior. But my question for us as a church is, is he your Lord and Master? Are you ready to say, yes, Lord, to whatever he says to do? The favorite description of the apostles when they wrote the scriptures is, Paul kept saying, Paul, the bond slave of Jesus. Peter says, Peter, the bond slave of Jesus. What's a bond slave? That was somebody who voluntarily put themselves in a slave position to somebody. I like what my master's doing. I just want to stay, at this, stay as their slave. Why? Because they understood God's love for them. They understood that he was not going to tell them to do anything that was going to harm them in the long run. The king, these wise men, and we want to point out there was not necessarily three wise men. It just said wise men, so we know there's two or more. We always come up with three because they give three gifts. You know, but how many there was, we don't know. How many of them were looking for a king? There could have been 30 or 40 of them coming to this house. We don't know. We know there's at least two, and we don't know how many there were of this group. But can you imagine Mary and Joseph, they're at home in the middle of Bethlehem, and all of a sudden this caravan comes up to their house? I don't know how you would think if you had a caravan, even if two or three people came to your house, and you know, you know how, how, how you would feel. But they're looking out of their very strangely dressed people, foreigners, probably with a guard, come up to their house and they're looking for the king of the, king of the Jews. And then when they show them the baby, the first thing they do is bow down and worship. They worship. They worship because they know what this baby is going to become. We need to be worshiping God in our life because he is going to become more and more to us as we walk with him. As he comes in and dwells in us and gets more and more of our heart, our desires, you're going to find that he grows. The information you get from him grows. The way he changes you grows. The more he asks for you, of you grows. And you're, and you're going, God, I, would have, I don't know that I would ever give up something. And there's things I've given up that I would have never expected giving up that God has said, I want you to give this up. And there's been a couple of things where I said, no, God, I don't want to do this. I'm not a very obedient person either, so uh, I'm getting better in my, as I'm getting older. But there was times when I told God, no, I'm not giving that up. And then finally go, okay, God, I'm giving it up. Because he keeps asking. He'll keep putting it in front of you. But is he your Lord and Savior? Not just your Savior, but Lord. What are you going to do with Jesus? 
What have you done with Jesus? How much of your life have you given to him? There was a dumb, dumb bumper sticker back in the, back in the 80s, God is my co-pilot. You know, well, he does not want to be co-pilot. He is the pilot. Matter of fact, he is the entire cockpit crew. He is the navigator, the pilot, and the co-pilot, and he just says, you sit back and enjoy the ride. Now, he doesn't want us as even co-pilots. He is the one that is in charge of where our life is going if we will just let him be in charge. So I'm going to challenge us today. Are we ready to make God our king? If you've already made him king, great. Take you to the next step. Wherever you're at, you can add more to it. Where I'm at, I can add more. You know, we can always add more because we all struggle with the idea of, God, I like to do things my way. I like to do things my way, and God is saying, I want to do it my way, and I want you, you crucified. We are told, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Do you have your flesh crucified before God so that you're not in battle with the king? If your flesh is not crucified daily, you will be in battle with the king, wanting to do things your way, doing it my way. <laughs> we want to be very careful about that because God says, surrender completely to me. So this is where we're at. We need to be like the kings and bow down and worship the king and give up our rights, our thoughts to the king. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we go about your business. Lord, we ask you to put it on our heart to totally surrender to you. Lord, if there's anybody that's listening to this online that doesn't know you, that we ask first off today that they will make you Savior. They will say, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Come into my life and save me. And then for that, after that point, Lord, I want you to be my king. And for each person in here, we ask, Lord, that you help them make the decision for you to be their king. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. 
Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.